Don't be afraid. Lock the doors. Turn out the lights. And climb into bed. It's time for Hillbilly Dead Time Stories. Many tourists travel to Charleston, South Carolina to see attractions like the Battery or Rainbow Row. Some come to sample the city's low country cuisine, but others visit to learn about the dearly departed. Thanks to its pre-revolutionary heritage, its wealth of ancient tombstones and ghost-centric folklore, Charleston is often considered one of America's most haunted cities. Whether you venture out in the twilight hours or well after dark, Charleston's ghosts are not to be missed. One of the locations you should definitely check out is the subject of today's episode, the Mariner's Church. Charleston has been dubbed the Holy City by Mariners since its earliest days. This is because of the multitude of church steeples that can be seen from the mouth of the harbor. There are more than 80 steeples reaching to the heavens and nearly 200 churches in all, resulting in more churches per capita than Rome, Italy. While the plethora of churches alludes to a city built on religious tolerance, there were times of religious tolerance as well during the days of witchcraft and the old British laws. The heart of the present-day Holy City is home to the Mariner's Church building, with its pyramid roof, iron bell, and anchor overlooking the city's historic market streets. The first congregation dates back to early Charlestown, and a group of seamen walked away from the first Baptist church erected on Church Street several decades after its origin in 1682. The Mariners built a dissenting meeting house across from the First Baptist Church. At the height of the Baptist schism, the Mariners' meeting house was carried away by the large swells of the fierce hurricane tide of 1752. Religious zealots saw Mother Nature's removal of the Mariners' church as a sign of God, a true baptismal cleansing. The Mariners were used to life disrupted by ocean tides, and they hoisted their sinking church onto a boat during the long eye of the monster storm. They then relocated their sanctuary farther away from the rectitude of the Baptists. Puritanical extremists used the ensuing decade after the great hurricane to break down on new religious sects, creating a witch hunt atmosphere that led to a public hanging of accused heretics on the peninsula in 1761. While members of the Mariner Church survived the dark times of religious persecution, Another dissenting group was not so lucky. A German religious group was eventually hanged in the Low Country. Group members were part of an eccentric cult known as the Gifted Brethren, who had been banished by Quakers in Pennsylvania for practicing nudity and other abominations during the worship service. They moved to South Carolina's upcountry, where they thought that they might practice their religion unhampered by authorities.
Captain Han Peter Schmidt was the secular ringleader, known to heal people with herbs, roots, and incantations. Schmidt attracted Calvinists and Lutherans who also practiced his services with him in the forests near the Saluda River. Worshipping outdoors was routine for most agrarian Germans. An escaped slave from the Low Country, known only as Dubard, carefully observed the congregation and joined them with some of his own followers soon after the group settled. The Reverend Christian Theus from the Low Country heard of the gifted brethren and wandered into one of their meetings one night in the forest. Stumbled across the group at the time that Captain Schmidt was trying to raise a dead man from a coffin before the congregation. There were large bonfires all around the celebration of the winter solstice, customary for many 18th century Germans. The man in the coffin rose on Schmidt's third command. He slowly turned toward the congregation and then gazed with wide eyes at the murmuring members. This was all the low country priest needed to see. Theus returned to the holy city to alert Charleston militia the bizarre cult that he had observed and an order was issued to arrest the group. All were captured and put on trial in Charleston, where they were sentenced to hang. The executions of the gifted brethren were just some of the dark events, series of public murders that took place on these gallows of Charleston. The dead bodies of the gifted brethren swung slowly for three days in the atmospheric swamp of the low country humidity. South Carolina has been known to be behind the times socially. It was the last sight in America to hear the case of witchcraft in 1813. After the American Revolution, most of the British witchcraft laws were deleted from young America's law books. The South stuttered for about 30 years before fully claiming independence from the outdated laws of social order. New England was not the only section of the country where people have believed in witches. Judge David Johnson of Union, South Carolina, who later became the governor, held the 1813 trial of an old woman from Chesterfield who was accused of maltreating by diabolical arts, a girl residing in Lancaster. The girl testified in court that Barbara Powers came in and set upon her, choked her with great violence. After she raised her up, she converted her into a horse and rode her into Lancaster. At Lancaster, she went through the keyhole into several shops, brought out goods of great value, loaded her with them, and rode her into Chesterfield with her booty. Then she rode the young woman in the form of a horse into Cherwa, where she proceeded to do the same thing, obtaining bags of goods and then rode her back to her residence. At this point, Judge Johnson cut off all further testimony and he closed the courtroom. He would not hear the woman's case from prosecution again. The nocturnal flight of witches has always been held by some of the reality, while others have believed it to be demonic illusion. Clerical literature is filled with scholarly discussion on the subject, which resulted in a connection of these two flights to the witch's Sabbath, and ultimately, led to the death sentences of people suspected of nocturnal journeying. Originally, 
night flying was part of a complex sect of agrarian rituals, or more specifically, a farmer's ritual intended to ensure prosperity and fertility to the village community. People claimed to have leave their bodies through bilocation dreaming or meditations claiming that they were physically able to take on the forms of animals or other people in foreign locations. Church of England demonized these vestiges of paganism and imposed its point of view, but without succeeding in blocking the nocturnal wanderings of people in outlying areas. Agrarians would put runes on their houses as guardians of their crops. Many American ancestors were skilled herbalists and healers who placed runes on their chimneys or doors, a practice common for Northern Europeans. Rune symbols may have had oaks on them, a symbol of physical and spiritual masculinity, strength, and virility. Other runes had pomegranates for fertility and happiness, tulips for peace on earth, or whirling stars for movement. These runes, like foreign jewelry on sailors, were unfamiliar symbols to Puritans, and it caused whole towns to cast their leery eyes on people connected to the unknowns of Mother Nature. Members of the Mariner Church were some of the first dissenters of Charleston's early Protestant faiths because they refused to adhere to the taboos of alcohol and public dancing, among others. Mariners invigorated by the risk and solitude of ocean travel scoffed at the codes of the land while they drank imported rums and danced into dawn during their first nights back on shore. The conflict between the church and the sea accelerated after the Great Hurricane of 1752, as other dissenting churches, such as the Unitarian Church on Archdale Street and the Circular Congregational Church on Meeting Street, began to produce their own church dissenters. Before the Great Hurricane in 1745, Chief Justice Charles Pinckney purchased the property along what is now South Market Street. Market streets were created by the Pinckneys in a creek landfill project at the turn of the 19th century. For a good while, the Mariner's Church site remained at 50 Church Street after the hurricane of 1752. In 1853, the Pinckney family donated the property of the present Mariner's Church site as a place where visiting sailors of all faiths could worship. In 1915, the current chapel was erected. The following year, Bishop Leland Geary of the Episcopal Church of Redeemer consecrated the building. In 1964, it was decided that the church was no longer needed for mariners, and the chapel was deconsecrated. The religious symbols were removed in 1967, and the property was opened as a restaurant. The prayer booths were later gutted and made into bathroom stalls and the altar was used as a bar, almost as an homage to returning sailors. The wildness of the Mariner's church history has influenced the structure in its present form. As a club on the second level of the church's chapel building, raised cages have recently lined the dance floor. Bouncers allow only women to express themselves in the iron bar cages, while people gather for drum rhythms, dancing, and drinking.
Take on a vampire game. 